Well, hello and welcome. It is time for Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd. Of course, as always, I'm your host. We've got an exciting show for you today. It's Ansible and or, as I like to put it, Terraform. Two extremely popular, very well-used tools that can seem very similar. If you're pursuing an automation journey and you've got questions around uh, is either one right for your particular situation? Are both right? What's the right way to think of these things? Where do they begin to separate themselves? We're going to cover all of that and more with a couple of very special guests, of course, from Worldwide Technology, because that's what we do. This is Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration, all from Worldwide Technology. And with that, it's time to go meet our experts. All right, gentlemen. So it's time to to kind of dive into this subject and make a uh, as clear of a direction as we can about Ansible and Terraform. Where does one fit? Where does one not? But first, let's talk about your bona fides just a little bit. I'll start immediately to, I guess, my right, your left, however that works. I can never remember when it's flipped around. But Tyler, um, let's start with you. What is your background? What do you do? Yeah, no, thanks, Rob. So I'm Tyler Hatton. I'm a solutions architect on our global engineering team primarily focus on infrastructure automation. So all things Ansible and how can you apply Ansible to automate the various components of your infrastructure today? Interesting. Okay. So we have you in the pro Ansible category. All right. For the conflicting view, I'm just making this stuff up to try and make it sound more uh, uh, competitive than it maybe is, but was not the, um, I'm sure you're not anti Ansible, but uh, tell us about your background. What do you do for worldwide technology and kind of what do you bring to the game here today? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, I'm Vasanta Gamake. I'm also a tele, uh, technical solution architect uh, with our multi-cloud uh, practices team, primarily focusing on HashiCorp products, uh, and Terraform uh, happened to be one of them. Excellent. Okay. Well, and I've been learning a lot as we've prepared for this show from both of you about where these tools work, and but I can't begin to replicate the content, and that's what I want to get into today. Now, First and foremost, I uh, prepared a, a quick graphic that I think Tyler, you can speak to, but Santa, feel free to jump in. But essentially, it was the uh, this kind of highlights graphically why we're talking about this today. And this was this Flexera cloud report. But what, what's notable about what we're looking at here, Tyler? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as you mentioned, Rob, you know, in our in our in our conversations that we've had and, and with our customers, a, a very you know, common conversation that we have with our customers today is really around Ansible and Terraform. If you look at this Flexera cloud report right here, there's been a significant amount of growth and interest around automation and these two different solutions. And the question we commonly hear from many of our customers is Ansible, Terraform, which one should I use? Which one is better? Um, you know, is this a flavor of the week scenario where, you know, this week the flavor is Ansible and next week right. the flavor is Terraform? And, what we're really hoping today is just it's just to kind of clear up, you know, Ansible Terraform, how do they compare? What's really best of both? Yeah, perfect. And I and I actually I'm glad you had mentioned that report because I went and I looked at that because I wasn't familiar with it. It's a free download. Uh, and you can go take a look at it if they want to see the information in more detail. There's a couple other tools mentioned in there as well. But I find it interesting that it it's really that's not the right question on what is better. Uh, it sounds like, uh, because that is, as with many IT related things, it's probably not the best way to look at things is trying to, but it's our human nature. We want to stack rank everything. Um, well, let's start with it. Just let's understand the tools I had asked you guys about and didn't even seem like there was a clean answer on this about infrastructure as code and whether that was a way to kind of encapsulate these configuration, automation, management tools. God, there's so many different ways to categorize it. 
But let's start with, um, actually, I'm going to start with Osantha. Let's start with Terraform. Uh, let's lay down what is Terraform, and then we'll cover what is Ansible and just kind of lay that groundwork. So, Osantha, how do you begin to describe what Terraform is, is about and what's the background there? Yeah, Terraform um, is an infrastructure as a code uh, tool uh, provided by the HashiCorp. And uh, with the Terraform, uh, the way it facilitates you to define your infrastructure and then um, from a state where there is no infrastructure uh, to an end state where you have the infrastructure that you plan to build uh, is what it's doing uh, the, the best. Um, and yeah, so um, from the, um, um, oh, sorry. No, that's okay. Take your time because what you're saying is it maintains state, which becomes critically important. But you're talking about orchestration versus configuration, or kind of where does yeah, the sweet spot lie? Yeah, it, it is an orchestration tool. Okay. Uh, and if you compare it to Ansible, which is primarily a config uh, management tool, uh, Terraform is um, your infrastructure. Uh, it orchestrate infrastructure, bootstrap, and bring to a point that you can actually use it. If you think about the infrastructure um, from um, networking point of view uh, to uh, a compute um, uh, and to some of sometimes uh, to app as well. Well, so I'm curious, Tyler, if you would agree with what he's saying, because he made a few statements in describing Terraform, he made a few solid statements about what Ansible is. Um, do you agree? What, what's, how would you describe Ansible? And feel free to compare and contrast that a little bit here to get us started with Terraform. Yeah, no, absolutely, Rob. So I, I think to your, to what you had mentioned earlier, I, I think most people try to create almost like a false dichotomy between these two different solutions where it, you know, it's whether it's Ansible or Terraform, when in reality, we're more in the gray here, right? I, I think it's a little bit more of both. So to what Wasanta mentioned, you know, the use cases that Terraform is focused on primarily, at least as of today, is infrastructure management, infrastructure provisioning. You, know, you need a, a means of provisioning your VMs, um, your network, uh, maybe your firewall rules, maybe some form of load balancing. Terraform has those integrations and those resources built into it out of the box to handle that sort of thing. Now, where Ansible is focused is, all right, you have your VMs. What are you going to run on top of those VMs? You know, is it is it a web server? Is it a database? Is it a, a Minecraft server? You know, whatever you want to run, whatever that software is, whatever the application is that lives on top of that that server that Terraform is provisioning or the infrastructure that Terraform is provisioning, the way that those configurations are managed is likely going to be using Ansible. Um, Ansible is a configuration management tool that is focused on managing that Minecraft server and making sure that it's it's running as such. I love that you have the Minecraft server as the one example for our enterprise and government organizations that... Uh... Uh, that look to us for advice, but no, I, I, it makes I understand what you're saying. Uh, okay, but what you're starting to break down there is um, is really what maybe they're better at. Because it, let's clarify this: is there actually overlap? Is there reasonable? Is it reasonable to say, yeah, this is why there's confusion? Because especially, I think as you read marketing literature, um, you know what what kind of overlap are we looking at here in terms of of uh, what one does versus the other? And then you have to look at well, does is it the right tool for that? I guess becomes the defining question. Wasantha, were you going to jump yeah. in on that one or Tyler? Yeah. So there is always overlap between these tools. Uh, configuration management tools uh, can obviously do some provisioning. And the provisioning tools, orchestration tools, um, 
example, Terraform can do uh, some sort of a config management. So if you think about it, uh, when Terraform uh, spins up a virtual machine, um, you have a chance to install some software as part of the bootstrapping, and maybe even so do some configuration. But mm -hmm. um, but that's not really the configuration management that you would expect uh, from a config management tool. So you should be able to do the config management throughout your lifecycle of your virtual machine. Uh, and on the opposite side, Ansible obviously is great with the configuration management, um, uh, software um, management, uh, software installation, um, uh, application deployment, but it can also spin up a VM, uh, easy to instance in AWS, no problem. But um, is that what we actually uh, try to gain from a config management tool? Maybe not. So that's where there's a big overlap that sometimes throw off a lot of customers. Yeah, what were you going to say there, Tyler? Yeah. Not just so, what he said, yeah. you got to say something different. <laughs> I, I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say it the same way, Make but in a different, different, or I'll say the yeah. same thing a different way. It'll sound different. Yeah. So, so the reality, and at least my experience in using Terraform and Ansible over the past several years is, yeah, can you spin up an EC2 instance in AWS, or can you spin up that VM inside of AWS to host your application using Ansible? Yeah, you, you can, but do, do you want to? Do you really want to do that? Is it is it going to be painful for you? Yeah, it's going to be probably pretty painful from a More management standpoint. More painful than it has to be, I think, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And what Terraform bit of complexity, but Terraform makes it a bit easier, is what you're saying. Exactly, and Terraform has that functionality, such as state management, that makes the means of managing those VMs at scale a lot easier. Um, Again, and it's the same way with Terraform, right? You could use Terraform probably to manage the configurations for your applications that are running on those VMs. But it's the same deal. It's a, it's a, a painful process. After a while, you're going to realize, what have I done here? And you're going to recognize again that, you know, again, false dichotomy. It's right. more of both than one or the other. Well, so one answer we could probably provide in this, it sounds like right off the bat, is that there is no one is better than the other. Can we definitively say that they are both very good tool. They've both been around a while. There's not that, they're not even brand new. And thus they've got, but they both have good user bases and good uh, interaction and places to learn from, which I think is always important to tool sets. Um, do we agree that both have their place in most automation projects or environments? I, I don't know about that. I think I think Ansible is a little bit better than Terraform. No, I, I to, to answer your question, <laughs> To answer that question, I, I think that the reality of the situation is most projects that we see where they're trying to implement some form of automation, especially within public cloud, it's going to be both. Okay. Um, these are both open source solutions. They have massive communities behind them across you know, thousands. I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say hundreds of thousands of I'll say I'll say thousands, thousands of different contributors easily hundreds of different vendors or OEMs behind them. You know, what I tell people is these solutions aren't going anywhere. Um, right. no, they have no. massive organizations of both on the open source side and from a vendor side behind them. Um, there's huge investment for them. So great solutions overall, but yeah, Ansible is just a little bit better. Okay. Uh, well, Wasantha <laughs> may want to jump in on this one. And, and also you had a story, so I don't know if, if it makes sense to jump into that story here. But you were telling me a story, and I don't remember the details, but I believe it involved a 3D software implementation of some sort, perhaps. But do you mind 
covering that before, during, or after you respond to his Ansible is better comment. Yeah, definitely. In, in, uh, in my opinion, it's better together. So they both have okay. uh, places in um, in a life Such cycle. A politician. Of I like okay. so, yeah. And uh, going into the, the example that I was um, uh, giving you uh, sometime earlier, uh, it's actually a, a real world customer okay. project that, that I was part of. With, um, so this customer had a, a very simple three-tier app, uh, runs on Docker. So you oh, have a uh, oh, That's what I got wrong. Okay, not 3D, three-tier, right, which makes right. much more sense than 3D. All right. So yeah, you, you have a, a web database and app tier running on VMs, but they actually, uh, the app uh, runs on Docker images. So uh, the challenge or the workflow that they want to have is their staging uh, is on a vSphere environment and their production is on AWS. So um, how do they go about implementing full CI/CD DevOps workflow where you automatically spin up your infrastructure to deploy this application and then install Docker and then deploy your app onto the correct VM and run some testing, obviously. So the the actual the solution that we came up with is you use Terraform to stand up your infrastructure in vSphere for the staging environment. And then uh, you use Ansible Tower to uh, deploy uh, the Docker and then uh, the application uh, code, application bits um, as a Docker image um, onto these uh, virtual machines. And then you would do some uh, unit testing, integration testing, make sure everything looks good. And then you tear down that whole environment inside your staging uh, because you don't really need to keep that. So Terraform as infrastructure, as a code, uh, not just let you deploy, but easily destroy everything um, and all the dependence with, together. And once you have that and you're happy with the staging, then you would do the same thing onto AWS. You uh, spin up EC2 instances with the Terraform, and then you would use the Ansible Tower to uh, deploy the the Docker images and the the code on top of it. So, uh, so that's a, a very you know um, um, that's why I say they're better together. Uh, there's yeah. definition of uh, Terraform where you want to use it, and then there's a definition, there's a place for Ansible, and then they work together. Yeah, and it sounds like a little bit of difference in the operational life cycle in terms of of because it feels like. Um, you know, your initial deployment and doing that in an automated fashion is kind of your first step towards what we're really wanting to achieve. If anyone is is probably working with these tools that they're looking for a way to make things repeatable, make things scalable, be consistent um, and kind of minimize. But you brought up something. I think you were talking multiple clouds, but I was just kind of curious. Is there one tool better than another for giving me a consistent operational interface even though in the background behind it, it could be different deployments on different clouds. Does it present it to me in a consistent operational manner? Is one do better than another on that? Yeah, both Ansible and Terraform, they are cloud agnostic. Um, okay. So the way you define your Ansible is actually a very simple YAML file. And then if you look at the Terraform, Terraform has a, a HashiCorp configuration language, HCL. It's a very high level, easy to learn, type of language, or you can use JSON if you're uh, familiar with JSON. Um, and, and they both are not really tied to the cloud native tools, uh, for example, like cloud, cloud formation uh, in uh, AWS. So it 
kind of gives you an edge. If you're a customer, then your team has to learn um, maybe Ansible or Terraform or maybe both, but not uh, the native tools uh, for each cloud. So once you learn Terraform or Ansible, that uh, covers all the um, public and private cloud. Yeah, these, these cloud providers, as simple as they make certain things, other things can, it does get very complex and it's very different in their approaches. Yeah, Tyler, what were you going to comment on that? Well, yeah, Rob, I think I think to your point around complexity, there's certainly one of the brilliant things I think about Terraform is it to a certain extent tries to manage the dependency complexity that exists within uh, you know these different cloud environments today. I, I was going to use another word for that, but I think dependency complexity is a better way to put it. Right. But um, to 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 the to the point that Wasanta mentioned, you know, around you know Terraform being Terraform and Ansible both being cloud agnostic tools. I think another added value that they provide is they abstract away a lot of the complexity of working with these different cloud vendor APIs or or infrastructure vendor APIs, whether it's you know F5 or Cisco or AWS or Azure. You know each of these solutions, they all have their own APIs and they all have a learning curve to them. And fundamentally what Terraform and Ansible are both trying to achieve in their own little way is how do you abstract that away? How do you make it easier for you know, any individual within your team to pick them up and use a single language to configure them, which is you know, HCL and in the case of Terraform or it's YAML within Ansible. Gotcha, okay. Um... Well, let me ask you then for another point of distinction, and this it may not be a distinction as much as just how they operate, but uh, I was looking at the notion of declarative versus procedural. Uh, am I right in saying, because um, I remember the first time I was introduced to Terraform and it was, um, in all of this, the, the notion that we would hold up the ability to destroy easily as being a positive is not something I'm used to historically. It's much more of a DevOps thing and it's just the nature of things that we can do now with these temporary infrastructure, temporary operating environments. Um, but I, I, do I understand correctly, Terraform is more known as, as more of a declarative, uh, this is the state, I don't care how you get there, you don't need to define how you're going to get there, but we declare what this is what it should be, and it's constantly checking to see that that, I guess, Terraform apply um, would be the, the right reference. Is that correct, Wasanth? Yeah, absolutely. So being an orchestration tool, the, the whole point, the end goal is to get to that state, and then... Uh, once you get to that state, um, uh, let me uh, go back and uh, uh, talk about it. Please what, give me the background that I just skipped over. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What Tyler said about the resources. Um, so you actually uh, Terraform build a, what we call resource graph. It's actually a graph theory in maths. Uh, it kind of uh, look at your configuration. Oh, okay. So you, you need to build uh, these these resources. So I'm going to figure out which ones depends on which, uh, and then there are obviously there are some of some of them uh, going to be non-dependent. So you create that resource graph, and then that's what you present to the uh, to the operator before you do the apply. Say here, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so once that's done, it goes and uh, implements that resource graph when you do the Terraform apply. Okay. Um, so, um, so that's how uh, Terraform applies the changes, and once it's done, it keeps the uh, the, the state um, as a state file. And what what matters with the state file is you have that state file when you go and try to add something else, the day two operations uh, next day, that state file and the resource graph is already there. So Terraform can 
pre-build the resource graph and everything looking at that state file and it knows what is already done. And then it's pretty easy to go and add whatever we have to do uh, as an add-on. Uh, so that's where that state is really handy. Before you do anything with the Terraform apply, it will go and do a state refresh and see what has changed since I've done this apply. It has somebody go manually and uh, make some uh, changes. And if somebody has done it, then obviously it's going to say here, has somebody done this change? Uh, so I'm going to continue from this point onward. So, uh, so that's why that state is really uh, what make a Terraform uh, you know, different from the other uh, automation tools. Yeah, because Tyler, Ansible does not maintain state, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's no, at least for most Ansible code that you write today, there's no native function of state that it builds out. Okay. Now, could you build that out on your own with Ansible? Kinda, sorta, but Should it's you? it's not yeah. native functionality. Yeah, kinda, sorta. But um, you know, I I think Rob, something that you mentioned earlier, just around this this idea of being able to build and destroy infrastructure on the fly, and and kind of what was Santa mentioned with with that state, that state makes it a lot easier to basically destroy that infrastructure. You know what to destroy from that state file, and the I think underappreciated value of that is, let's say you need to rebuild your application infrastructure on the fly somewhere else. Um, having that state file, having the, those resources already listed out is incredibly important for that versus, you know, spending the time doing it manually, you know, dealing with the, with the or time to recovery of or time to recovery to, you know, hours instead of minutes. Well, and it, and you're saying, and so you use the word recovery. So it makes me think this is in the context of, uh, resilience or the context of keeping things operating but these are also operating environments because of the ability to create and destroy quickly. This is the ability to, um, to scale, um, both tools scale easily. Both tools also address the ability to, um, eliminate manual repetitive tasks, which is the whole reason, um, coders ever started moving in this direction, which is, this makes no sense for us to keep writing this over and over again. Um, and, and so both tools address this type of thing, which also gives you a level of consistency, uh, and reliability that you would expect out of any kind of an automated um, uh, operation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you talk to some of our financial customers that we have from a WWT standpoint, you know, for them, automation isn't just speed. It's about how they build resiliency into these, into the infrastructure, not even just their applications, but into the infrastructure that they're provisioning into their data centers or into public cloud today. They want to have the ability to, again, be able to rebuild their infrastructure, rebuild their applications in you know, minutes or even hours instead of you know, days, weeks, months. Um, that, that's the goal. And automation is, is fundamental to that. Without automation, without having something like Terraform or Ansible acting as a means of, of building out that state, it's, it's almost impossible. You guys, and we'll we'll end up this show as we normally do, and talk a little bit about the resources that you provide ongoing. But uh, prior to that, this this will probably overlap a little bit. But where do customers tend to be working with you guys? Um, I know this is an overly broad generalization I'm forcing you to make, but I'm just kind of curious because it feels like this is something that lives in. And correct me if I'm wrong. In the DevOps world, is is kind of how I put it in in terms of how things are operating. And my feeling is, is that this is an extremely rapidly growing area that's got a, a healthy future in front of it because of the positive benefits. 
but it's a lot of cultural change at a lot of different customers. And I'm curious, you guys have worked with customers, especially worldwide technology has long-term relationships with some very mature, established companies and organizations, government and private and so forth, but also some new ones, startups and other things that don't have the legacy infrastructure perhaps to deal with and are maybe moving faster into some of the newer stuff. Where do you say most people are um, in any kind of way in terms of this revolution? Is that a fair, that's probably not a fair question, but either way, I'm asking it. Um, Tyler. Yeah. Yeah, start. I'll, I'll start and I'll hand it over to Asanta because I'm okay. curious if he agrees with me. Oh, but yeah. I, I would say, generally speaking, for the customers that WWT works with, which is you know, some of the largest organizations in the world, it, most of these organizations are, are still fairly early on, at least at an organizational level when it comes to the adoption of, of automation, really just DevOps practices in general. It may exist in smaller silos in that organization, but you know, organizationally wide for an IT organization, you know, very, very early on in, in most places. And I think that's incredibly important because, you know, somebody who is watching this right now, you know, may look at something like Ansible Terraform or the adoption of DevOps as something intimidating to them. And the reality is everybody's been in that same spot before. It's a, it's a, it's a learning process. It's a process of evolution with yeah. the organization. Yeah. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, at some point, it's 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 just taking those first steps. Um, you know, identifying okay, there is value of automation and going down that path. But yeah, what's well, so Do you agree? Like, I, I feel like most organizations that at least I talk to are early on. There are some advanced ones. Don't get me wrong, but most of them are pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. No, I I hundred uh, percent agree. Uh, from my experience, uh, it's actually better than when I started maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, so everybody I talk to, they already have. Uh, some sort of automation. They've already looked into uh, automation, uh, which was totally different like two years ago. So they already have some sort of automation. Maybe it's a one practitioner, uh, one architect try to introduce Terraform or Ansible uh, into the into the mix, or it could be uh, you know DevOps team or develop uh, development. They've already building their um, infrastructure with uh, Terraform, for example. They do their own thing. But most of the time, uh, it's not uh, corporate-wide standards. So there are pockets of automation. And uh, when you have that sort of environment, you, you have challenges, try to standardize how you can have the whole organization or the, uh, the corporate-wide adoption. How can you force it? Uh, what guardrails, governance uh, needs to be put in? So, um, so I, that's where I see a lot of customers these days uh, they have the automation, but they want to make it better adoption-wise. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think this all of this rides on that cusp of who's competitive in their own industry. And a lot of times, you know, it's the people that are safely adopting new technologies and figuring out how to kind of push themselves and do things differently constantly becomes important to being able to survive as you go forward because it feels like um, automation there's no question that that kind of thing makes complete sense. And the more flexible your infrastructure can be to respond to your market needs or your, uh, or whatever it may be remains critical. Um, but I always, I was, you were making me think that this is a, a leadership change in terms of cultural change as well, because the ability to understand a leader, if you're not deep into the details about what your people are doing, if you're moving into CICD, um, and other things that, that might be really new or scary for you, um, I was wondering, do you think it's reasonable for a company today, and I say a company, just any kind of organization, 
to uh, expect to see things like Ansible or Terraform or any of a hundred other tools, you know, would they want to see those on a resume, you know, if, if, of people that they're applying for, or what are the kind of things, you know, is it, is it all being trained from internal or is it reasonable to expect now that, that there's, there's people that you can add that have this expertise in your team as needed into the places where you need them. I'm kind of curious where you think that kind of stands. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can at least answer from, from my perspective and even my, my, my team's perspective within global engineering. I, you know, one of the things that we commonly do as a team is we will look at job postings that other organizations put out there and kind of try to deconstruct them and they figure out what are those common skills. Yeah, common skills that are people are looking for on the market today. And yeah, Terraform, Ansible, you bet that they're they're on there. You know, coding languages like Python, uh, even Go um, is is not terribly uncommon. It's, in fact, it's incredibly common on on these different on these different uh, job postings and you know i, I think the, for a, a large reason because of that and rob you kind of hit on it is if you look at the disruptors within these different industries excited you when know, I get something right yeah go go yeah, sorry go ahead you got it right so, but if you look at the like the technology dis technology disruptors in these different industries you know let's let's take one that's been popping up recently like Robinhood in the financial space you know the way that they manage their applications and their infrastructure isn't how you know let's say larger organizations yeah. or or i don't i'm trying to think of a better I'm way to put to say it without but, saying you, the actual names of the of the investment yeah, but, yeah. you know that were the, these the larger enterprises manage their infrastructure you know sure. you bet that robin hood is you know deeply invested in infrastructure's code they're using tools like terraform and ansible yeah. to manage their infrastructure and that's that's how they manage everything you know and that's and that's how they're able to disrupt because, you know, if you have a customer that's looking for a new feature in your application, it's not a six month to year long turnaround time. You know, for them, it's probably a couple weeks. And again, the way that they can do that is through automation. It's it's through the power of infrastructure as code. Um, you know, it's, it's through the power of the practices that manages all through all of that, which is DevOps in general. I like what you're saying there, too, because what you're also saying is, is that everyone is making investments at the beginning to establish a foundation upon which they could be more nimble. And so it, and it guess it just kind of logically follows anyway, because that's the whole purpose of the tools were created, which is let's not do things more than once. Um, let's do it right to begin with and then continue to build upon that, which can only provide to use dividends, no, no pun intended uh, to provide yeah. dividends, you know, moving down the road. Let me, um, I'm going to pull up, I think I've got this up right here. I want to talk a little bit about the resources that worldwide technology provides and forgive me. Cause I think this is probably something you were going to speak to on this first one here, if I'm correct, uh, Tyler, uh, or was it Wasantha on this one? Yeah, actually uh, I can speak to that. Uh, Beautiful. Go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. What is it this workshop you guys provide? Because I, I like these, by the way, sorry, I set it up a little bit better. I like the, the, the work. I tend to think of them as workshops and briefings. You guys do a lot more than just that. Uh, but in general, those two categories, what I like is you guys generally provide a stair-step approach to someone who needs a safe place to learn and ask dumb questions and also set the stage for being able to ask questions that are specific to their own infrastructure needs and their own problems and, and, and scenarios. Um, and so, and this looks like this is one of them here as well. So what, what is, what is the multi-cloud integration workshop? What's important here? Yeah, a lot of customers that we talk to, they have the, the very same, uh, you know, questions that we have uh, most of the time, Ansible or Terraform, 
um, which one's better? What are we going to do with this? And then on top of that, uh, they have their existing uh, CICD pipelines. Uh, it could be Jenkins, it could be AWS, uh, and then the infrastructure, uh, multi-cloud uh, across all public clouds. And then a lot of customers we talk to, they have uh, vSphere environment on-prem as well. So is there a way that we can validate what we want to do without disrupting um, our employees without uh, taking people from the current projects. And um, sometimes, or most of the time, they don't have uh, a lot of expertise around these topics. Uh, and what we do as a WWT, we have a place in our advanced technology center lab that we can set all these things up. We, we can easily set up vSphere environment and uh, we can get our expertise from OEM products, uh, F5, Dell, Cisco, uh, if needed be, and then we have uh, connectivity, private connectivity to AWS, AWS Direct, for example. So we can set up a whole uh, environment, complete environment that uh, some of these customers want and add all these Terraform, uh, Ansible to automate and validate what they need. So we can do all of that. We can discuss uh, four hours, uh, four days a week, and if they're really uh, interested in uh, to bring some some of the complex integrations, uh, what I've seen, uh, okay, I have everything here, and I I want to have my existing Splunk uh, connected to this setup. Can we do that? If this is even um, possible, so we can answer all those things uh, in a timely manner. If it's just a conversation, yeah, we can do a workshop to discuss the architecture. Uh, but if we need to have complex uh, integrations validated, we can do that too. So that's where we uh, begin um, that uh, type of engagements. No, that's good. Because if there's one thing is that uh, people in, the, in my audience, so to speak, you know, watching Tech 37 or anything else that I do, is I go, Rob, all you do is talk. You don't listen. And I go, that's, that's on purpose. You guys are good at listening and, and specifically addressing because, boy, there's no other place especially in these environments where everybody's got a little bit of a unique twist on something and they want confidence that they are moving in the right direction because ideally we don't ever want to have to destroy or back away from something we've created. We're going to create in the right direction and just keep moving forward. But uh, Tyler, were you going to speak here about the enablement program? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to, to the environment that Wasanta showed, I mean, that again really speaks to when you when you look at automation as a whole, it's multiple different solutions that are involved. And you know, if you look at that list that was on that 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 previous uh, screenshot, it kind of shows just all the different components we commonly see for many of the customer environments that we interact with. But you know, I I think just you know, if you look at that list list in general, and I, I think you know, coming from from my my perspective, being an engineer, it's almost somewhat overwhelming to look at it first. Yeah. And I. I think one of the the things that we have kind of recognized through our you know, more than several years talking to customers about automation is that there's really several common gaps that we see. And one of those is really around kind of the skills gap that exists for engineers today between you know the skills they knew from the past, like you know, managing you know, network devices, you know, working through the CLI, all that stuff and applying those into more of an automated mindset. And to, to the thing you had up a second ago, that the automation enablement workshop that we do is primarily focused on filling in that gap. 
from an at an engineering level, how do we enable these engineers to pick up these new automated solutions and adopt the practices, these DevOps practices, wow. in order to properly apply automation and really DevOps in general within their organization? Because again, it's not it's not just about the tools. You know, we've been focused on Ansible and Terraform today, but it's also about the practices, such as you know, how do you adopt like version control as as an example. And in addition to this, you know, another workshop that we do is something called automation envisioning. So uh, another gap that we see is really not just at the tactical level, how do you enable these engineers, but even more strategic. So at an organizational level, what, what the heck do we automate first? We know we need automation. What do we automate first? How do we go about automating that? And what we do as part of automation envisioning is things like value stream mapping, where we'll look at your larger internal organizational processes and, and look at that as a process and figure out where are the bottlenecks that are part of that? You know, of all the dependencies that are involved with this, where's the bottleneck? What's taking the most time today to complete? And then from there, we can get a better idea from an automation standpoint what the heck do we automate first and then go into automation enablement and work with your engineers to automate that use case. So a lot of stuff going on with automation, but the big thing I would say just from a WWT standpoint is wherever, wherever you're at in that journey, if you're at the beginning trying to figure out from a strategy standpoint, where do we start? Or maybe you're just more tactical around, you know, we have a very specific use case around automating NetApp storage to be very specific. We can do both. We we meet that full spectrum of use cases that that organizations have today, at least when it comes to automation and DevOps as a whole. Well, that's nice because I, I think what you're pointing out there, and I was laughing when you were going through that as I was scrolling through because it says we ain't, we listen, we start by listening. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. I honestly, I mean, I had read the page at some point, but it was either in the back of my mind or, or I was just overly concerned about it. But either way, you're right. There's a lot of different places someone could be on this journey, um, and there's a lot of different ways to get started. But it sounds like you guys are working hard to eliminate the fear uh, and any trepidation someone might have about getting into it because it's not something to fear. It is the way the world has been moving and continues to go, and uh, you guys provide some good resources on that. So hopefully this has been a valuable conversation for someone besides myself. I think it has. But Tyler, Wasanta, I certainly thank you guys. Appreciate you taking the time to walk through those things because I know there's more tools we could cover. There's so much we held back on. But um, either way, guys, I want to thank you so much for watching Tech 37. Uh, Hopefully, again, that it was valuable. There should be some resources there below on the screen that you can click on uh, in terms of what we talked about and showed on the screen. I'll put one other uh, URL up as we we leave. But definitely take advantage. There's so many resources that Worldwide provides and the labs in which they could do to give you not just theoretical knowledge. This is about hands-on knowledge, and you can reach out to them to make sure that they're applying it specifically to the questions you have and the infrastructure and the challenges that you may or may not be dealing with. It's a nice resource to have. I encourage you to take advantage of it. Well, again, thank you for watching Tech 37. My name is Rob Boyd. We'll see you on the next one.